0: So this is Graham. I'm sitting here with Lewis Pugh. If you don't know Lewis, should we go through some of the accolades first and then I'll ask him to introduce himself? Well, first of all, welcome to the podcast, Lewis.
1: Thank you so much.
0: And a little bit of background before we get going in. Your list of many names by which you have been called, obviously very positive, many of them. You just arrived from, where did you fly in from just now?
1: The Maldives. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard life. (laughs) It's a hard training camp. Oh, is it? Yes. It's
0: not what you told me off there. That was 30 degrees <laughs> water temperature. <laughs> All right, we'll get into some of your adventures in a minute. You, I mean, I'm inspired reading the backstory about some of your adventures as well, living vicariously through some of your expeditions. Um, Lewis Pugh, UN patron of the oceans. You've spoken at TED, WF. You're also author of Achieving the Impossible and a speaker here at the Singapore Management Festival. It's fantastic to have you here. Um, shall we run through the list and you can tell me whether or not these are well-earned? So the first one is is Men's Journal described you as one of the 50 most adventurous men in the world.
1: Uh, okay, I'll learn that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's a pretty cool one, isn't it? That's good bragging rights. The human polar bear.
1: Mm. Well, I spend a lot of time with polar bears. So. Yeah. yeah what does it take to be a human polar bear? Swim with polar bears.
0: Really? Yeah. Is that not dangerous? I mean, the swimming part aside, but they're pretty lethal animals, no?
1: Yeah, they are. And they're very, very inquisitive. You know, an encounter with a polar bear is is not good for either humans or or, or polar bears. So I I keep my distance.
0: Right. Okay. South Africa's most extreme adventurer. And there's a lot of extreme Uh, adventurers there, I have to say.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't own that one.
0: Yeah. No. It's a lot of competition. There's a lot of competition in that genre. Master Storyteller, as told by Ted, I think you tell a good story.
1: Yeah, that's generous, huh? Yeah, I think it's a good one.
0: We'll find out today. And I love this one, because I'm a fan of him myself. So, the fact that you've been called the Sir Edmund Hillary of swimming, what does that mean to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting one. I mean, I'm a great great fan of him, although obviously he's passed away. It's not so much what he did in terms of being the first person to climb Mount Everest, but what he did subsequently. I mean, he served the climbing community. He served New Zealand. uh, He was a great advocate for uh, the people in the Himalayas and the Nepalese people. I mean, a life well served, an incredible person.
0: And a great role model, I guess, as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: And a great diplomat as well. Yeah.
0: I imagine doing what you do, you get a lot of attention PR coverage as well. And then you're sort of challenged then
1: to use that
0: in a positive way.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you you think of some people who've been pioneers, who've done incredible things, and then later on in life, they, um, with respect, they didn't do much with it. Sir Edmund Hillary would be on the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah. I mean, he really did an awful lot with it. You yeah. Know, he, he was loved all over the world.
0: Yeah, like building schools and just giving infrastructure to those Sherpa communities as Yes. Well. well. we'll talk about some of your, um, you know, your efforts and your, you know, some of the adventures as well and how you're working with communities. So we'll go into that a bit in this podcast. I want to start at the top with a quote and I'm sure you said a lot in public as well. So yeah. I'm going to call this one out and just get your thoughts on what was going on through your head and maybe you can tell us where this happened. So... You, in your own words, you said, I think that I was slightly naive. I thought that if I showed people the beauty of the Arctic and the beauty of the polar bears, that they would care so much that they would stand up and try to make a change. Mm. Do you remember where you said that? No. It's in one of your books. Okay.
1: (laughs) And I don't think much has changed. Yeah. No. I mean, you see these incredible documentaries by... Uh, Sir David Attenborough, and they show the absolute beauty, of the Arctic, the Antarctic, and everything in between, and you think that people are going to change. Well, they won't. Yeah, why? I think humans, they they, they think very, very short term. Yeah, but the changes I'm seeing now in the Arctic and the Antarctic are so huge. Hmm. When I first began swimming in the Arctic, on the edge of the Arctic sea ice, the water was three degrees. I went back there two years ago. It's no longer three. It's now 10 degrees centigrade. So it's gone from three degrees to 10 degrees in just 12 years. That's the speed at which this place is changing. And the response of governments all over the world, the response of businesses, the response of ordinary people, you know, it just hasn't, hasn't matched the speed at which the environment is changing.
0: Does that ever make you want to give up in the sense that
1: no. you know, sometimes
0: the message is not getting through?
1: No, it makes me want to double down and, and work even harder
0: how can you work harder i mean looking at we're going to go and talk about some Mm. of the adventures you've been on surely you're you're raising the bar now and that must be hard for somebody would talk about for example swimming mount everest if there was such a thing yeah i mean how can you top things like that or swimming the arctic circle
1: i always want the swims to be a little bit harder a little bit tougher a little bit uh, more challenging and hopefully the message more inspiring Uh, if i were to do a a swim which was was not as big as, not as hard as a previous one. The media wouldn't cover it. Yeah. So every swim has to be bigger and harder. But it's about trying to get the message out further, and 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 you know, social media certainly helps with that. And uh, uh, the the media around the world have been absolutely incredible about that. But it's also about now beginning to to team up with other people in in other parts of the world, and to amplify our voice. Because I'm not the only person that's calling yeah. for the protection of, of the polar regions.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of talk now about plastic, isn't there? It seems like in the last couple of years, the media has cottoned on and brands as well, and single use plastic in particular. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: When you see that happening, that must be a sense of vindication for what you do as well. Like, you know, plastic in the oceans. I mean, surfers have been talking about this for generations, right? But now the mainstream has caught up. Do you ever feel that at some point it risks becoming trivialized or, you know, becomes hashtag, you know, whatever it is, plastic? Do you feel that it's all going in the right direction?
1: I think it is going in the right direction. I mean, just two, three years ago, very, very few businesses were talking about plastic pollution, as you mentioned. Uh, Now, certainly in the United Kingdom, where where I live, there's just been – it's on every single TV station all the time now. What does concern me now is that we're focusing so much on plastic pollution, which is incredibly serious. I mean – Birds are eating it and dying. Fish are eating it and dying. Uh, When we eat fish now, we are also eating plastic pollution. We don't know the full effects of it. Mm. Uh, I'm finding plastic pollution in the Arctic, in the Antarctic, and everywhere in between. There's literally now no part of the world which is plastic-free. But what concerns me is there are three big things which are impacting the oceans. It's climate change, it's overfishing, and it's plastic pollution. And it's not like we can just solve the one and leave the other two alone Mm. we have to be tackling all three of them and i'm concerned that there's so much attention going to plastic pollution that the real big elephant in the room which is happening so quickly which is you know the climate change uh that we're not tackling that quickly enough do you feel
0: that plastic is obviously quite a cool issue to talk about that climate change has had its sort of time And then four people have kind of got a bit tired of it. I'm just being a devil's advocate here. There are a few politicians out there who would say it's a theory.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Plastic pollution is easy for the public to understand. It's easy for business to understand. It's easy for politicians to understand. They can see it rolling up onto the beaches. I've been involved with a beach cleanup in Mumbai where the plastic pollution, when the, the residents started cleaning that beach, the plastic pollution was literally shoulder height. Now you don't have to persuade people that there's a problem there because they can actually see it. When it comes to the climate emergency, that's much more difficult for for people to see. Mm. You know, most people are not living in the Arctic or living down in Antarctica. They're not seeing uh, the impact of climate change. They're not diving in the Maldives and seeing the coral reefs being bleached. Uh, so it's much more difficult for them, and they're not necessarily putting all the things together. If you go to the Arctic now, you said you've seen
0: plastic there. Mm. Are you seeing like plastic waste there and Mm. garbage just Mm. swimming around in these big
1: plastic islands floating around the Arctic? What's the situation? Well, there's there's nothing more stark than standing on a beach and watching a polar bear swimming ashore. And all over the beach, there is plastic pollution. Mm. And it's like old fishing nets, it's drums, it's flip-flops, it's things like that. And you see a polar bear walking out of there Climbing out the sea and walking over the plastic pollution to go and lie down on a on a, on a bit of snow. Yeah. Uh, Does that make you angry? You know, I don't know. I, I, I think an- anger, yes. I, I, I You know, if I wasn't angry, I think there'd be something wrong. But one has to harness that anger mm. in a positive way. You know, one must use that to really tell the story about what's happening in the places and, and keep on with this uh, message.
0: Yeah. And these adventures that you embark on really are a great way to raise awareness. Some of those being, the list that I have here, swimming across Mount Everest. I know that's probably a bit poetic, but there is actually a glacial lake up there, isn't there? Yes.
1: Well, in in many of the Himalayan mountains now, the glaciers are melting away. And now you're beginning to find lakes appearing. You know, even on on Mount Everest now, there's a lake on the Kumbu Glacier. Yeah. What sort of altitude is that? It's about 5,200 meters. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Is there any sort of risk of heat or, like, you know, oxygen deprivation at that height, or is that pretty safe to swim at five thousand meters?
1: Oh, well, you'll find out later on when I when I talk about this swim in this in in this talk. It is extremely difficult to swim, you know, at, at altitude. Yeah. The thing about climbing up Mount Everest is that obviously most of the mountaineers use supplementary oxygen. You can't swim with supplementary oxygen, but also if you get exhausted, you can stop and take a breather. You stop and take a breather in water, which is just above zero, and and you'll drown. You've got to keep moving. And uh, so it is extremely difficult to swim at at altitude.
0: Are you swimming there just in a speedos? Or are you wearing like a dry suit?
1: No, no, no. I do all my swimming in in, in speedos. It's not to to be bravado. It's not because I can do it. But it's it's to really… Well, two reasons. Number one, because I want to get media attention. And you know that if you're swimming at, across the North Pole or on Mount Everest in just a, a pair of speedo trunks, you're going to get media attention. But but secondly, because I'm urging world leaders to take action, yeah, and take action now and be courageous. There's definitely a lack of courage in world leaders in tackling these these issues. I mean, there are so many issues facing world leaders, whether it be poverty, you know, diversity, uh, conflict, y- you name it. There are. There are so many big issues which they have to tackle. But without a shadow of a doubt, the defining issue of our generation is the health of our planet. And they need to be courageous about it. They can't keep putting it off. Mm.
0: You have to go to quite extremes to raise awareness, right? Do you ever feel that, what you know in yourself, when you're doing it, is that why do I have to go to these extremes to raise awareness? Why couldn't it be a lot easier?
1: I wish it were a lot easier, but it's a very busy media world at the moment. And to yeah. get your message out there, you have to do you know, big audacious things. But raising awareness is just, you know, one part of the work I do. It's probably about 1% of the work I do. So I'll do the swim, but then on the back end of it, that's where the tough stuff comes. That's where I'm, you know, meeting business leaders or meeting heads of state or ministers of the environment or ministers of climate change and trying to persuade them to create these great big protected areas in the oceans and to tackle climate change. That work is unrelenting. Mm. So, for example, the negotiations to create a, a very, very large protected area around Antarctica, that took 17 years of negotiations. I wasn't involved in all of that. I was involved in the last two years. But imagine being a scientist or a, or a diplomat and working for 17 years to try and get an agreement to protect an area which is under threat. Yeah. That requires grit and determination and just dogged resilience.
0: Yeah, persistence. mm You've also swam every ocean in the world. Yes. I mean, starting off the bat with a geography lesson, how many oceans are there in the world? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's not such a big thing, because luckily there are only five. I'm glad there are only five, but right. I mean, it's the Atlantic, the Indian, the Pacific, Yeah, and then the two big cold ones, the Arctic Ocean, and then the Southern Ocean around Antarctica. But this was undertaking a long distance swim in, in, in each of them. Yeah. You know, it's not like just jumping in and jumping out two seconds yeah. later.
0: crossing it off. A long-distance swim being how long on average?
1: Uh, you see, it depends. <laughs> because, you know, a long-distance swim, for example, in, in the Arctic, where the water is minus 1.7, you know, I thought, well, a one kilometer, that's a long swim, because I'm going to be in the water for 20 minutes, and the water is minus 1.7 degrees centigrade. And just, so it's below zero, because yeah. water freezes below zero. You know, just to give you but but then for example if you swim in the atlantic ocean let's say you swim across the english channel well you know the water there is 17 18 degrees so you know i thought long distance swim there maybe 30 40 kilometers in the pacific even longer yeah so i think it it depends on where you are okay
0: yeah and the toughest one being was it the cold swims yeah isn't that that dangerous
1: Yeah, I mean, they are dangerous, no no question about it. I think the toughest swim I've done was the one I've just done, which was the length of the English Channel. So not across the English Channel, so not from England to France, which is 33 kilometers, but it was a full length of the English Channel. So I started at Land's End and then swam all the way to to Dover, 528 kilometers, 328 miles. Uh, It took me 49 days to complete I mean, off, the first week was quite exciting. It was fun and it was... The know, honeymoon period. the right. honeymoon period. <laughs> and uh, it was nice summer days and the sea was nice and calm and I felt good and strong. And there I was swimming for a message and, and the second week I was getting a bit tired and... The third week I was exhausted. Fourth week there were storms. Fifth week I wish I would drown. Sixth week I, I, I would try and drown myself. Eventually though I got I, I got to Dover, but the results were amazing. You know the United Kingdom government you know made some some significant changes there and, mm. and committed to being the first major economy in the world to commit to protecting thirty percent of our oceans by twenty thirty, which is going to be an enormous important. Uh, Uh, thing to achieve
0: yeah uh, well all I can say is thank you for doing that thank you so much yeah I know really and honestly because that's maybe what it takes is somebody got to do something brave and crazy to get those people to get them over the line Mm. what's it actually like swimming for seven weeks on end i mean you're not in the water for seven weeks are you surely
1: no so, so i have a yacht next to me so i'll so i'll swim during the day and then i get in a yacht and sleep at night and we go back to the exact same spot and we carry on yeah um I, I love being in the ocean it's not that i don't like being on land i just prefer to be in the ocean and yeah. and, and so those were they, i mean it was exhausting it was unrelenting And it wasn't just a swim which was exhausting, but it was the jockeying with politicians and trying to get the message out there. And then at the end, when I finished, the Secretary of State for the Environment, Michael Gove, was there on the beach at the end to meet me and to debate the health of our oceans. Yeah. I'm physically exhausted and I'm (laughs) mentally exhausted. And uh, one's got to have a debate there live on television. It's, it's, yeah, it was tough.
0: Yeah. Did you hold it together? Do you think you… Managed to (laughs) mentally be in the right place.
1: I I think I was, but you you know, it's so emotional having finished the thing. I wasn't sure that I could actually finish it. Yeah. So when I started it, this was by far the longest swim anyone had undertaken in in those type of conditions. I made three promises to myself. And if I hadn't kept those three promises to myself, I actually don't think I'd have made it. The first one was, I said, when, when I stood on the beach at Land's End, I said, I just need to leave all my doubts here. Mm. Because if if you don't, if you get an injury, you'll be out. Or if there's a storm, you'll be out. Uh, the second thing I said was that every day would be a swimming day. Every day I'd swim 10 kilometers. And the third promise I made was that if we couldn't take the boat out because it was too rough, the next day would be 20 kilometers. And we finally got to the end. You made it. I imagine the end, the last
0: seven days probably might have been the easiest part I'd say easiest in relative but that sort of mid to two-thirds section the dark places that you went into what's that like when you're sort of waking up in the morning thinking oh, i've got to do 10k today mm. and you're just battered
1: physically mentally tired beyond belief well let me just take you a step back when i did the training for this i went to my coach and i said what well, you know what what sort of training should we do and he said well nobody's ever done a swim like this before so I don't know. He said, do you want to go in rare, medium-rare, medium, medium well done or well done? I said, well, when it comes to preparations and the logistics and everything, I'd like to be well done. But, you know, when it comes to training, I think, you know, 528 kilometers is a long way. Mm. I don't want to go in there, you know, medium, uh, because by the end I'll be absolutely physically exhausted. So I went in medium-rare. Now, if you go into something medium rare and you're doing 10 kilometers every day, soon you're going to get an injury. And halfway through, I got an injury. Hmm. And my shoulder was getting sore and sore and sore. And I was thinking, am I going to be able to make this? Luckily, we had some really good physios with us who who used to patch me up every day and send me out. You can't have sympathy for yourself. You've just got to say, I'm just going to do 10 kilometers today. I'm going to get out. And I'm just going to worry about today.
0: How did you get through that? Because the voices in your head must have been unrelenting
1: well one of the very simple ways of getting through this was the fact that the whole swim was live on television on sky news so you start thinking to yourself <laughs> a, a whole, <laughs> the whole the whole world's watching the whole world's watching and you're going to give up in front of the whole world yeah that's a good motivation yeah that's you're a committed re- you're committed absolutely yeah
0: and you've got all family and friends yeah yeah. yeah, and w- mentally when you're actually swimming, I'm curious to know what actually goes through your mind because do you are you in this sort of serene state of flow or are you thinking about like, I've got to pay that telephone bill when I get back? And <laughs> what's going on up there?
1: <laughs> it depends what type of swim I'm doing. So if I'm swimming across the North Pole, it's minus 1.7. Uh, along the route, I've got Russians who are guarding me potentially from polar bears. This is the coldest water any person has ever swum in by a long way. I don't know whether by the end of the swim I'll be alive. You've got to be sharp, you've got to be thinking. Every single stroke has got to be as beautiful as the next stroke. You've got to concentrate on your stroke. Uh, when I'm swimming for 49 days, I can I can zone out and then I could shout to the skipper, please remind my wife to pay the telephone bill and things like that.
0: <laughs> uh, you've got a good team around you. I think that's a key part of it, isn't it, in terms of the success. Um, I think it's a really inspiring story. The fact that you kind of have to, in a way, blaze a trail for other people. You understand that this is possible, that you do have to commit. I know some people, even getting into a cold shower is tough, right? But you know that sort of mindset that if I get into the sea sometimes, you think, you know what it's like when you're sort of wading out. You see them at the beach, you must just be laughing when you see people wading out and they're up here and say, don't splash, don't splash. (laughs) But you know that when somebody does that and you dive in, you're not going to die. Like, it's not fatal. It's in the mind, isn't it? I mean, how do you find when you work with business leaders as well, getting through that sort of barrier that people have, that fear of commitment? How do you sort of get results in that space? Mm.
1: I think it really is important to dive in and to go for things. Um, You know, when I see people walking down the beach and they slowly get in with their toes and then their knees and up to their waist, nothing gives me greater joy than at the end of the day, diving into the ocean and swimming. In those first 20 strokes, the whole world seems absolutely perfect. I feel so at one in the ocean. And it is about committing. And there's a certain power in committing and getting going. Now, when I did my swim across the North Pole, which was a one kilometer swim, we had 29 people in the team. They came from 10 nations. I put one of their flags at every single 100 meter mark. And all I did was I swam 100 meters, I slowed down when I came to the first flag. I looked at that flag and I thought about every single person from that team, from that nation, who'd helped me so much to get there. And then I just swam another 100 meters. And that was, it was great because it was very inclusive, Mm. but it also broke things down into manageable chunks. So I think that's a really important thing, which is dive in, commit 100%, and then just set those incremental goals. And then eventually you will get there. Yeah. you know, It was a thousand strokes. To get across the North Pole. I do one stroke a, you know, uh, a meter. Yeah, one at a time. One at a time. It's the only way you can do it, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I, sometimes it gets so tough, all I say to myself is, one, two, breathe. One, two, breathe. And just get the fresh o- fresh oxygen into my body.
0: Yeah. Um, in, in sort of summarizing, I wonder the, the bigger challenge may be how do you top the last one? How do you do that Now you're constantly raising the bar. Mm. And like you say, you're in a media landscape that's constantly vying for the attention of the audience and politicians and heads of state. Have you got some, without sort of sharing in public, you must be scheming on the next adventure. Any sort of tidbits that you can share with us?
1: Well, so the swim across the North Pole, which was in 2007, was to graphically show world leaders that now the Arctic sea ice is melting. It's melting so quickly that you can even swim across the North Pole. Okay, There were many leaders in 2007, many leaders, who were denying that that was happening in the Arctic. Well, uh, swimming there showed them that, that it it is happening. You go up into the high Arctic now and you'll see these massive, large, open patches of sea. What concerns me now, though, is not just the, water, the ice in the water, but the ice on land, so the big ice caps. So, for example, you may have seen in, in the media some of the... Uh, footage coming from Greenland where there's obviously a massive mm. ice cap over it that's now beginning to melt and and, and and move in, you know, sections of it move into the sea. Same down in Antarctica. So my next big swim is going to be in what we call a glacial lake. So this is a lake on top of the ice cap. The ice caps are now beginning to melt. So a lake, freshwater lake, on top of these ice caps to show what's happening there. Because uh if the Greenland ice cap melts, if the Antarctic ice cap melts, that will profoundly change this world and not in a good way. Fantastic.
0: Lewis, it's been a real privilege speaking to you. And I'm inspired to go and do something myself. I'm sure people are listening to this that just commit. Take it one stroke at a time, whatever endeavour that they apply themselves to. And really, you know, we need I think in in this world we need more people like you. You know, people who maybe, maybe it's a little bit different, hardwired up there, right? But, you know, you see challenges and adventure different to normal people. But I think that's really important because without you, then, you know, people are just going to look to the next guy and say, who's fixing this problem? But it takes somebody to step up. Thank you so much. You're very kind. Thank you.